as I was reflecting on this passage, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 33 and the blessing that Moses speaks over the people of Israel, I couldn't help but think about this in terms of a pep talk. Because if any of you have been following along with us uh, throughout the passages of Deuteronomy, we have definitely seen Moses have a much harsher perspective and a tr- maybe truthful perspective of the reality of the people of Israel, right? I mean, he's been telling the people of Israel, you are, you've messed up, you're messing up right now, you're going to mess up in the future, like He's very much lined it out that they have, they have failed. Like they've come up against the law, this perfect law of God, and they have missed the mark. Like they, they keep missing the mark. But in contrast to that, we have Moses at the very end of his life speaking this blessing. And there's not like, there's hardly a negative word in this about the people of Israel. He is speaking to them, um, not from the perspective of his experience with them, which has been rough, right? I mean, like his experience leading the people out of Egypt, can we agree that like it was kind of tough? Uh, teaching them how to follow the Lord, teaching them the laws of the Lord. I mean, going up on a fiery mountain to get the Ten Commandments and come down and find just after a, a very short amount of time apart, they have started to build golden calves. Like, what are we doing? You just came through the sea. Like, what? how, how do we get to this point where they miss it so much? Um, and Moses here at the end of his life, I think, is reflecting on, um, you know, some good things. I mean, he's, he's about to pass away, and he's thinking of some good things uh, that are happening with his people. And I think more importantly, thinking of what God desires for this people, right? He knows they're not the biggest. He knows they're not the strongest. He knows they're going up against a challenge that is truthfully a challenge. The people in the land are bigger. They are stronger. They have fortified cities. They're, they are up against something that in reality they cannot face. And so as I'm thinking through these blessings that he speaks over the people of Israel, um, I can't help but think of them in a context of this kind of scenario. I mean, think of a coach rallying around at the end of his, end of his term and trying to rally the troops and say, hey, we're going to go in there and this is who you are. This is the blessing that the Lord speaks over you. And so he, he leads this with uh, a couple of things. So just an outline of chapter 33, very big outline of chapter 33 is, is this. Um, he speaks of the love of the Lord first. In the first kind of five verses, he talks about the love of the Lord for this people. Then he blesses the tribes almost one by one. One's kind of left out. Um, and then uh, finally wraps up, with the presence of the Lord shown to them. So we see on both ends of this blessing, right, is the presence of the Lord. So he's going to bless the people, but he's also going to make sure they know where their blessing comes from. It is he, the Lord is before you and the Lord is behind you and the Lord is in you. He, he is surrounding you. The blessing that he has is for, that is for you is from the Lord, not in anything of yourselves. So first, he speaks to us about, about the love of the Lord, verses 2 to 5. The Lord came from Sinai, dawned from Seir upon us, shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from 10,000 of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. First thing to note, God is coming down the mountains to his people. God is coming down the mountain to his people. Why is that important? At this time, usually what would happen as they built altars to gods and tried to worship gods, they would build 
an altar, build up a hill of some sort, or put an altar on top of a hill, and the people would go up to the altar and then give sacrifices to God up at the top of this hill. We see a God that is not asking us to come up the hill to him, but he is coming down to us. He has come down the mountain to his people in a fiery, uh, with with, uh, 10,000 holy ones in flaming fire in his right, right hand. He came to us. Verse two, yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand. And so they followed your steps, receiving direction from you. When Moses commanded the law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob. Now, do you guys remember if the people were really good at following the laws or not? right? They weren't. But this is what he's speaking over them. He's saying, you are going to follow this law. He's speaking in faith. This is what God desires for you, to receive this law and to follow in it. Um, The Lord loved his people. He speaks of them as holy ones. God has spoken this truth over them over and over and over again, that you are holy. You are to be a priestly nation set apart. Yeah, there's going to be a tribe of priests, right? The Levites. But you as a nation are priests, You're to be ones that encounter the living God. God comes down to you. He loved his people. His holy ones were in his hand. When Moses commanded a law as a possession uh, for the assembly of Jacob, they followed in these steps. And thus he says, verse 5, The Lord became king in Jeshurun when the heads of the people were gathered and all the tribes of Israel together. So before he jumps into blessing the tribes themselves, he says, I am a God who loves you. I am a God who's revealed my law to you. I am a God that is your king. After starting with who God is, he jumps into who these people are. And I want you to notice it's kind of, you you can easily get bogged down in like the length and uh, shortness of various, uh, various components and who gets kind of a better blessing and a different blessing. I'm going to just share a few thoughts. Um, most of them got deleted. I don't know how, so I'm going to try and remember, remember some of them. Um, but, uh, but he goes through each of these tribes and he gives them a blessing. And I think each blessing is just a little bit different from, uh, from one another. Not each tribe is blessed the same. So Reuben, let Reuben live and not die, let his men, but let his men be few. Reuben had sinned against Jacob, and, and so much of his blessing uh, from Jacob was taken because of his sin. What do we see in this blessing spoken of Reuben? We see grace. The truth is, he should have been wiped out for, for what he had done. But God gives him grace and allows him to live and not die. We see the grace of God at the very first. We see the blessing upon Judah. Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring in to his people with your hands, contend for him, and help against his advers- be a help against his adversaries. Give Judah victory. Judah receives victory from the voice and hand of the Lord. Levi, give Levi your Thuman and Urim to, to your godly one, whom you tested at Massa, whom you quarreled at, at the waters of Meribah who said to his father, I regard him not and disowned his brothers and ignored his children. For they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. To Levi, he gives wisdom, the wisdom of God, the very teaching of the law to his people, setting them apart as holy ones so they might instruct the people of Israel. He gives them wisdom. 
of Benjamin, he says, uh, verse 12, the beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. To Benjamin, he gives protection. The place between the shoulders is to uh, represent the most secure place. So God being there is going to secure Benjamin. And think about Benjamin's life, how he's constantly secured, even though he's being offered up here and there uh, in in the, the story of Joseph. Benjamin is said to be secure and protected by the Lord. Joseph, blessed by the Lord in his land, will have the choicest gifts of heaven and of the deep that crouches beneath, with the choicest fruits of the sun and rich yields of the months. And it goes on and on. He is given wealth. He is given prosperity and wealth in his land to Joseph. Zebulun, rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. They shall call upon uh, they shall call peoples to the mountain. There they offer right sacrifices. For they draw from the abundance of the seas and the hidden treasures of the sand. Zebulun and Issachar see what God has given them and have a heart that is right to the Lord. They sacrifice unto the Lord in a right way. Of Gad, blessed is Gad who enlarges, blessed is he who enlarges Gad. Gad crouches like a lion. He tears off arm and scalp. He chose the best of the land for himself. For there a commander's portion was reserved. He came with the heads of the people, and Israel executed justice of the Lord and his judgments for Israel. can't remember what I wrote for Gad. Something about Gad. He, he made a good choice. <laughs> I can't remember what that was. Um, and Dan. Dan is a lion's cub that leaps from Bashan. I can't remember what I wrote for Dan either. So... Anyway, you guys couldn't figure out Dan either, right? I mean, he's a lion's cub. All right. Um, Of Naphtali and of Asher, favor is given. Of Naphtali is sated with favor. He's full of the Lord's favor upon him. And Asher, finally, is blessed of the sons of Asher. Let him be the favorite of his brothers. Let him dip his foot in oil. That is, let him bathe in oil. He is favored so much that he bathes in oil. Let his bars be iron and bronze, and as your days, so shall be his strength. His strength shall be perfect. So I know, like, ran through those really fast, right? And just, just a very high-level cap of, like, what is being said. But the thing, you know, we kind of got to talk about it maybe at community group on Wednesday or Thursday, but the thing I want you to take away from, from these blessings is that they're not all the same. There's a variety here, right? He is blessing them with the truth and character of God as it is present with these tribes. He is pouring out blessings to them, different blessings to different tribes, showing them something different about himself in each and every one. To one is given wealth, and to one is given wisdom, to one is given victory. All these things are things that God provides. He gives them to his people the blessings upon the people of Israel. He wraps up this blessing by saying this, as I read earlier, there is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. First, God is the one that comes to protect us. He's the one that rides through the heavens to your help. When you're up against a problem, he is the one that comes and supplies. He is the one that steps in at the last minute and says, here, here's the plan. 
The eternal God is your dwelling place. Here they are wrapped up, about to go into this land, right, that God gave them, a land that they thought was their country's identity. This is where they're going to be. This is where they're going to live. God has given us this land. He wants to strike them with something deeper because he says the eternal God is your dwelling place. It has never been, never will be, about some specific land for us. It has always been about the very presence of God with this people. The eternal God is your dwelling place. Underneath are the everlasting arms. He thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy. I love how simple, just concise. No, no, no big, huge pep speech on that. Simply, when your enemies come, destroy. Done. So Israel lived in safety, and Jacob lived alone in the land of grain and wine whose heavens drop down dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. The shield of your help, the sword of your triumph. The enemies come fawning to you, and shall tre- you shall tread upon their backs. Have they done anything in this of their own strength? Have they gained any in who they are? No, they've gained it all in what the Lord has done for him, them, the, the Lord who comes through the skies, the Lord who is their dwelling place, the Lord who is the Savior of his people, the Lord who came down the mountain to be with them, the Lord who loved them. This is the God that the people of Israel are called to. And this is the God that we are called to, too. It's very easy to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and say, these things seem very different. The Old Testament is about this people that is coming upon a land that God has given them, and they're going to root out all the people and then take the land for themselves, uh, only partially uh, because they're disobedient. And then and, and God's all about this land, The land has always been an image, a picture, a visualization of how great and good our God is. Israel is the weakest, right? I mean, you're thinking about the football players at Indian Hills. At the very last, it says, the last line of that pep talk was, thank God I play for Indian Hills. Okay, they were an underdog. They weren't meant to make great success. And so in their prayer, every time they play, it is, thank God I play for Indian Hills. Because there's better places to play, but I'm grateful I play for Indian Hills. Same for Israel. They're not the strongest. They're the weakest. They didn't have a land. They had no land. God called them out of slavery to go to a land. And so oftentimes we see, though, this disparity between, okay, Old Covenant and New Covenant, Old Testament and New Testament. These seem like different things to us a lot of times. But the truth is the same thing is happening. As we've seen, as we've looked at the people of Israel, they are constantly and have been constantly at war. From the moment they left Egypt, they left in battle formation, they walked through the wilderness to the land, rejected the battle that they ought to take, and went back walking through the wilderness for 40 years in battle formation, getting ready to go back into the land. They're in battle formation. And so it's also easy to look at the New Testament and see, oh, I don't see any war in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus comes with love and forgiveness and 
all this. And that's true. He does. But it is in direct opposition to our world. And to mistake the fact that we are still at war is to miss what God is saying. We are at war with the world. The New Testament is very much a proclamation that we are at odds with the world. The world hates Christians, hates those who follow Jesus. They hated Jesus so much that he crucified him. Okay, he's at war. It's described um, throughout here. Now, I don't know if I've got this passage or not. I don't. That part's deleted too. Ah. But you guys know this. Ephesians 6, 10. Anybody? Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. God has called us to a war. And sometimes that war is with things that are external to us. And sometimes, like we looked at, I think it was last week or the week before, in the doo-doo passage, right? That war is within us. We want to do the things that we want to do, but even though we want to do them, we cannot do them. There's a war raging inside of us. There's a war raging outside of us. And God has called us to battle that war with truths. And so just as Uh, just as Moses blesses the tribes of the people and says, this is who God is, and this is who you are. So too, he says the same thing to the church today. This is who God is, and this is who you are. God has given you his presence. Just like he spoke to the people of Israel, the Lord is your dwelling place, so too for you, the Lord is your dwelling place. Because of what Christ did for you, you stand in the presence of God. He gives this promise before he leaves in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The presence of God is with you as you fight these battles, as you fight the internal battles, as you fight the external battles. God is with you in this. 1 Corinthians three sixteen to 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. What God has purchased for you in Christ Jesus is the very presence of God. He's given you the ability to stand in the very presence of God by the blood of Jesus. And so, you know, you've got all kinds of battles that come against you this day, right? You've got guilt and shame when you fall into temptation or temptation comes to your door. You're saying, oh, I don't know if I'm really saved. And God says, no, I have purchased that for you in Christ Jesus. I have made you a temple. In spite of what you deserve, I have given you the gospel. 
We talked about this some on Thursday with our group, and it's just like this truth, right, we need to continue to remember is not a new truth. Every time you come up against temptation, every time you come up against a, a sin issue that you are trying to root out and battle against, it's not a new teaching that you apply to that. It is the same teaching you learned at the very first. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Just as you came to a knowledge of Jesus as your Savior, when you met him the first time, you recognized, I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. And so I repent for what I have done, and I believe in what you have done on my behalf. I don't deserve it. I still don't deserve it today. And so the gospel is continually applied. God has purchased his presence for you in Christ Jesus. And when the devil, the evil one, or anyone else comes and says, oh, you're just you're not really a Christian. See, you're doing all this stuff still. You can reject that plainly and say, I'm fighting. I know I'm not perfect. I recognize that. But I don't have to be perfect because I've got a God who came to me a God who is my savior, a God who has fought my battles, and I repent of what I've done. If I have harmed you, if I've harmed myself, whatever it is, I repent of that, and I believe in the one who fought my battles for me, who made me to be standing in his presence. This is the same blessing that he speaks over the people of Israel. The eternal God is your dwelling place. Could you imagine being this, you know, millions of people without a land, at the edge of the land, and thinking, those guys are bigger than us. You need to hear this, right? God is your dwelling place. You don't have to worry about what's ahead because God, who you have seen come fight your battles, will again come fight your battles. He has given you his presence. The message from the old to the new is the same. Today, too, he's given us a corporate blessing. It's not just about one tribe. It never was about Judah conquering for Judah. Okay? It was never about Gad, since Gad got his land first. Actually, Gad was called to go into the land with everybody still and go fight with his brothers for the land that was theirs. There's a corporate blessing for us as well. Romans 12, verses 4 to 8. God has given you a blessing, each and every one of you, and your blessing is unique. Your, one person's blessing is not the same as anyone else's. Romans 12, 48. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. So I am a member of you, and you are a member of me. We are unified. I do not stand alone. We are members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness." Not everyone is given the same giftings. We're given different blessings and giftings from the Lord. And so we use them in, in connection with one another, and we're able to bless one another with these things that God has given and thus go forward and share this love that God has poured out upon us. Again, 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. 
The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for, sake of, for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's very easy for us in a corporate setting to look at each other and the gifts that each other has and say, I wish I could do that. I wish I could sing like Connor. I wish I could play cajon like Jose. I wish I could make great food like Sandy. I wish I could serve. You know, like all these things, right? We look at each other and we envy. We say, oh, I wish I had that gift because everybody likes that gift. Right? We look at each other and we, we are envious of each other's gifts. God has gifted you each. He's gifted each and every one of us in specific ways that are a blessing unto our body. You don't have to look at others and say, I wish I had their gift. Rather, you have to pray, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what is my gift to this body. Because he's brought you here with purpose. He's brought you here with an intention for you to bless the body of Christ. You don't have to want after anyone else's gift because God has gifted you his very presence and given you a very special gift for you to share with the rest of the body. He actually says in that passage in 1 Peter, um, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Love one another earnestly. It's like this connection that we're talking about and serving one another and, and being self-controlled in these things is going to affect how we correspond with and talk with God. We've each, reserved, we've each received a gift. It is to be used to serve one another that in everything God might be glorified through Christ. So I'm sure, you know, in Israel, it was probably easy to look at Joseph as the other tribes and say, man, I wish I got the wealth blessing. Good grief. Both his sons got their land of their own. This has never been about what one tribe gets. It's never been about what one person gets. This has always been about glorifying in the God who is with us the God who has made his presence known to us, the one who has invited us into his presence. Throughout scripture, from, from beginning to end, it is not about the people that God has graced throughout, but rather what God has done through them to put on display the glory of our Father in heaven. We, by grace, get to participate in a beautiful piece of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 to 9 reflects on this as Paul is reminding the Corinthians, this is not about some man. Okay, if your hope is in some man, some person on this earth, then your hope is misplaced. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 3 to 9. For you are still the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul... And another, I follow Apollos. 
are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. So neither he knew he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. Turn back to Deuteronomy. The way this whole thing ends. As with Joshua taking up the mantle. Even after Moses is gone, people still hoped in Moses' name. And if they hoped in Moses' name, then they missed the whole point. This was never about the greatness of Moses, but always about the glory of God and his presence with his people. In chapter 34, it accounts of the death of Moses. Uh, Chapter 34, verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. He was taken. It was simply his time. He did not grow weary or feeble. It was just his time. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Verse 9. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there's not risen a prophet since, since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh or to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in sight of all Israel. There's a passing on from the great things that the Lord did through Moses to Joseph, or to, to Joshua and, and Samuel and Jesse and, and David. It's not about Moses. It's about the presence of God continuing to lead this people closer to the very presence of God itself. It was never about the land. It was never about a person. It was about God our Father, who is our Savior, who loves his people, who gave up the throne in heaven to come and sacrifice himself on a cross for us. A God who saves, a God who's become our eternal dwelling place. So let us cast off all guilt and shame for the sin that we have done, because God has conquered it in Christ Jesus. He has made us whole. He has made us holy by the blood of Jesus. And we stand, stand no longer condemned by sin, but rather made right by Jesus. And let us not strife among one another after each other's giftings. Rather, let us look to Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to serve the body of Christ? How do you want me, with the blessings that you have poured out on me, to be a blessing to those around me? And finally, how do I make this life that you have given me, not about me, but about the thousand generations that will continue to proclaim over and over, you are worthy Lord of all.
There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies and his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out your enemy before you and said, destroy. So Israel lived in safety, and Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine, whose heaven drops down like dew. Lord, we're so grateful for who you are. We're so grateful that in spite of who we are, you came and blessed us with your presence by the blood of your son, Jesus. We pray that as we look forward to what is ahead as a body of believers, that you would give us eyes to see one another. Help us see how the blessings you've poured out upon us individually are meant for those around us. Help us, God, to be built up in unity and strength with the giftings you've given to us. Help us not hoard our gifts and talents and treasures and uh, things for ourselves, but rather let's look to one another and see how we can serve as you've called us to serve. And God, help us not do anything out of conceit or glory for ourselves, which is vanity, but rather, God, help us exalt you in everything we do, recognizing you as the God who's come down, you as the God who's saved his people, you as the God who's given us your very presence as an eternal possession. In the name of Jesus, we pray.